Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. To 528 kilometers of range. And Toolman, the complete tool center, serving WA for over 40 years. This is Sports Day. Yes, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Sports Day WA with uh, Peter Vlahos. Great to have your company. Thanks to Hayes and Marto for the run home. The boys will be back again between 3 and 5 tomorrow. And let me tell you, Paul Hayes will be looked nice and refreshed after his week off. Plenty coming up on the program. WA continues to dominate when it comes to cricket uh, around Australia. A big win, not only in the Sheffield Shield against Victoria, but today in the Marsh Cup, they obliterated Victoria. And the big story is that Jai Richardson made a successful return from injury as the West Aussies crushed Victoria by six wickets at the Wacker today. I'll speak to Jai Richardson on the program very soon to see how he pulled up. Of course, he's such an impressive player and such an impressive person. So looking forward to speaking to Jai Richardson. Later, we're going to go to Paris and France, and it's all over for the Wallabies. History has been made for the first time since the inception of the Rugby World Cup in 1987. The Wallabies haven't been able to get out of the pool stage. Massive ramifications, not only for Eddie Jones, the Wallabies, but rugby in this country. And now I'm going to speak to Mickey Collis, and I'll throw him the question... The Wallabies should be front and centre right now in this period. The AFL have just completed their finals and their season. The NRL, likewise, in the Eastern States, have just completed their season. There's not a lot happening from a national perspective right now. And the Wallabies, we should be preparing to cheer them on in the quarterfinals and hopefully the semi-finals and even the final, but getting the Australian support that we saw so much of during the Matildas and the national pride that we have in our national teams, we should be jumping on board and supporting the Wallabies. But what they're doing is they're getting on the big bird tomorrow and flying home because they won't be partaking in the quarterfinals. So I'll have a chat to Mick Collis live from France on the fallout of what has been an absolutely disastrous World Cup campaign for our national rugby team. But the big story today for the good oil for Cobram Estate, Premier Australian extra virgin olive oil, that Lockie Schultz. And as a broadcaster, I love broadcasting Lockie Schultz. He's an excitement machine. He's an X factor in the AFL, not only for the Fremantle Dockers. And I was quite surprised and quite shocked in some ways when he requested a trade to Victoria, and in particular, the Collingwood Football Club. And the Fremantle Dockers, I think, have been surprised like many. And this is what they said in the statement. It was short and it was brief. That Lockie Schultz has today inquired about the possibility of returning to Victoria for family reasons. 
Frio says, as we know, he's a contracted player for another year. He's a required player who still has a year to run on his contract. Now, what are the reasons why he wants to go back to Melbourne and in particular Victoria and the Collingwood Football Club? Is it him? Paul Hazelby did mention in the run home it may have something to do with his partner. But we have to respect whatever his decision may be. Is there something inside the football club that he's not comfortable with? Or is it more a personal matter? We don't know at this point in time. But they've lost Liam Henry, who at the moment there are discussions for him to end up at St Kilda. Fremantle yet to do the deal. But losing Lockie Schultz is a significant blow. Because I just love the way he plays. He shows real passion. He's got fight in the game. He gets the hard ball and he kicks a terrific goal. And he's one of those really exciting players in the Fremantle Football Club. So we'll just have to see the way that plays out. In other AFL trade news today, Todd Goldstein is now an officially an Essendon player. What's interesting is Geelong veteran Tom Hawkins remains unsigned for 2024. And Sydney are bracing for tense negotiations with Melbourne and Collingwood over contracted targets Brody Grundy and Taylor Adams. Now, the Swans have their sights on Grundy after the Demons pulled the pin on their attempts to partner the Ruckman with Captain Max Gorn. And Melbourne List boss Tim Lamb believes a deal with Sydney should be fairly straightforward. And with Tom Hickey retiring, Grundy would slot straight into Sydney's number one ruck role. So that's the latest news for Cobram Estate, Australia's most awarded extra virgin olive oil, grown, harvested and first cold-pressed in Northern Victoria. But let's go back to Liam Henry and David Walls, the head of the list player development at the Fremantle Football Club, had this to say about where discussions are at regarding Liam Henry and, as we know, Joel Hamling on his way to Sydney. Uh, still early days, Kel. Um, had a couple of meetings with St Kilda. Um, yeah, we're probably still a fair way apart, so a bit of work to be done. And uh, confident we will get somewhere, but um, yeah, it's not happening anytime soon, I wouldn't think. Uh, I think he's going for more opportunity, um, so disappointing to leave. Um, we're notified that we won't receive any compensation through the draft, but it does allow Joel some uh, opportunity to play senior footy. So there you go. That's the latest uh, regarding Joel Hamling. And as pointed out, Frio get no compensation for him whatsoever. The other thing is Harley Reid. A lot of talk, even on the weekend, I did a couple of MC jobs for football clubs and people were saying to me, what do you think Harley Reid? Will he end up at the West Coast Eagles? It appears Harley he has got no issue wherever he may go. It's obviously a huge honour to go pick one and I know a lot comes with it. It's been in my mind to to have that goal and um, yeah, I've really enjoyed every part of it. For 18 years I've been in a small country town and haven't, haven't left my family so um, yeah, obviously be a challenge even if I move to Melbourne so yeah, what happens happens. I'll be happy anywhere. He'll be happy anywhere so we'll wait and see what transpires. Have you got your thoughts on it? Of course you can join us anytime on the Temper at Bedshed text machine. And what I found a little bit surprising, but it all stays in the family, uh, the fact that Collingwood midfielder Josh Dacos uh, won his very first Copeland Trophy at the weekend. After a career-best season, the 24-year-old finished the night with a total of 301 votes 
after taking part in all 26 games for the Magpies. So an outstanding performance. Second place for the award was shared by his brother Nick and Braden Maynard, who both finished the count with 287 votes. And this is what uh, Josh had to say on receiving the Copeland. The last couple of years have been the best years of my life. Um, I love being a part of this club from day one. And I think ever since Fly, um, you've come in uh, to see the impact you've had on all of us. Um, yeah, I can't thank you enough. It's been amazing. And then to all my teammates, um, I love playing football with you every weekend. Um, it's definitely the highlight of my week. And, um, yeah, I'm forever grateful for all your support. Um, and it's amazing to be forever bonded now. So thank you. Thank you, guys. Yeah, so there you go. Well done to Josh Dacos, uh, winning the Copeland Medal for the best and fairest of the Collingwood Football Club, ahead of Nick and Braden Maynard. All right, uh, just for Polaris, Australia's number one selling side-by-side brand. On the other side of the break, we're talking cricket, but we go to the break, and we'll focus on this a bit later on, but Virat Kohli and KL Rahul uh, guided India to a comfortable six-wicket victory over Australia in their Cricket World Cup opener, and the pair steadied the ship for the host after Mitchell Stark and Josh Hazelwood combined to set Rohit Sharma, Ishan Kashan and Shreyas Ayer all back to the pavilion for ducks and at one stage India were three wickets for two runs but in the end on the back end of KL Rahul's fantastic unbeaten 97 a bit of a misdemeanor with that drop chance by Mitch Marsh when Coley I think was on 12 he went the pair then Coley and Raul went on put on 165 for the fourth wicket. Australia, by the way, made 199, and India finished at four for 201 of 41.2 overs. We're going to talk more cricket after the break, but that update for Polaris, plate clearance deals are on now. Save $2,000 on the range of 1,000 EPS, plus get $1,000 free accessories. And by the way, Trent of Inaloo has been on the temperate bedshed text machine. Good on you, Trent. 0487 736 736. Hi, Pete. Aussie's very disappointing in the cricket. I can't see them being a threat in this World Cup. Your thoughts? I don't know. I In the end, if they were four for 20 last night, who knows what could have transpired against India? But it is a long tournament. I reckon they'll certainly get out of the group, unlike what happened with the Wallabies. And who knows? You know, uh, it is one of those games, 50 over a side. India certainly are favourites. England are up there as well, but we'll have to wait and see how it transpires. Trent, it's too early to call. Maybe we have to see if they bounce back in their next World Cup match. Uh, against India last night, they were well beaten on the scoreboard, but they missed a couple of opportunities to really put maybe the foot on the throat of the Indians, particularly when they were three for two and possibly at one stage with that drop chance, four for 20. We'll come back to that a bit later on on Sports Day WA. Come and join us. It's 10 past five. Great to have your company. Uh, this is Peter Vlahos here on Sports Day WA, wherever you may be listening uh, across Western Australia. Great to have you on board. I remember some years ago when I was work- working at 6PR, actually, uh, this young fella came in uh, to the studio and we had a, quite a, a good chat about his ambitions in cricket. He'd just broken into the WA side. And at that stage, he was a bit raw, but showed a lot of potential. And we know now uh, where he's gone with his cricket career, but he's had a few setbacks due to injury, uh, shoulder and a few soft tissue injuries. But today, 
He returned after a pre-season to bowl for WA at express pace, picked up a couple of wickets in what was a very convincing performance in uh, the 50-over-a-side one-day match against Victoria at the Wacker. We're talking about now, I think he's about 27 these days. Jai Richardson, thanks for your time. No worries. Thank you for having me. Is it 27 now, mate? Yeah, 27. You don't make it sound like it's a good thing, but... Nah, mate, it's young. I'd, I'd give everything to be 27 again. But I think I've, when I first <laughs> spoke to you, it might have been I think 22, 23. If you remember it, we caught up, you came into the radio station and uh, spent a bit of time with us, and we had a good old chat about your aspirations and one day playing for Australia. Well, you've tasted that already, and that must be the driver for you as you return today. Absolutely. Um Getting back to Test cricket would be would be ideal. Um, obviously, watching a World Cup from home is is uh, not the easiest thing to do. But it, yeah, like you said, it just gives that drive and um, you know gives you that hunger to to play good cricket. So hopefully, we can just stay on the park for bit more than one or two games this year. So what have you done, before we go to the game that was played today, and you were a significant part of that, what have you done to make sure that your body is stronger and healthier for the toils of playing cricket this summer? Well, I think it's just been a really slow process. Um, I had surgery on my hamstring back in like March or something like that, so it's been uh, quite a long road back, but the conversation before it, it even happened was that it was purposefully going to be long um, to do exactly what you said, make sure that the body is 100% right. And we didn't put any timelines on returning to cricket. I, I know with injuries and stuff, you talk about the oh, six to eight weeks, the eight to 12 weeks, or, you know, we're going to aim for this game or aim for that game. It was, you know, even risk coming back a little bit later just to make sure that everything was 100%. And, you know, I got through today, um, touch wood, you know, with no no issues. So, yeah, I mean, it's just been a, a very slow process. When you look at your career so far, and you're still a young man when it comes to cricket, there's no questions about that. Did you try and rush yourself back previously uh, from injury that led to another issue or was it all planned? Um, look, it is planned, but I think in hindsight's a wonderful thing, right? I think, you know, going back um, with a few issues that I've had, probably did rush back a little bit too soon. Um, but I suppose while it's happening, you, you have all the physios and the doctors and stuff. You, you trust them in their preparation and what they tell you to do. Um, but I think with this particular injury and surgery, it was a really nice reset. It was just to reset everything. I think the last 18 months, the... Like you said, the um, I guess the theme of my cricket was get injured or, or pick up a little niggle and then play as soon as I'm readily available and then do something again. So, yeah, this was definitely that reset that was needed. So hopefully we can continue a prosperous season and actually play a few games. Yeah. So is it more the shoulder, Jai, that's been the problem or the soft tissue? Like you mentioned the hammy at the top of uh, the chat. What has been the major concern for you? Uh, just soft tissue stuff, to be honest. Shoulder has gotten to a point now where it's been three or four years post-surgery. Um, I think it's gotten to a point where it's going to stay. I mean, my throwing and stuff is still improving. We're working really hard at that. Um, you know, we have baseball coaches coming in and pitching coaches and stuff to, to help our guys with their throwing. So that has definitely helped. And I, I feel like it's getting in, 
a place where it's a little bit better than what it was. Um, but shoulders actually okay. Bowling, bowling wise, um, you know, absolutely no issue. Diving wise, I've tried to steer clear of that now yeah. for obvious reasons. But mm. um, yeah, it's just been the soft tissue stuff and and a few unlucky ones as well. Like I had an issue with my heel. Um, that's doesn't pop up too often in cricket. Um, and this hamstring, obviously the big one, um, again, that doesn't pop up too often in cricket, um, mainly a AFL, um, one that happens. So we convene a lot with AFL clubs to see how they deal with it, um, which was obviously a big help, but yeah, soft tissue stuff. Mm. You bowled five overs today, took a couple of wickets. Jason Berendorf took three for 14 off five. And, of course, Lance Morris, uh, the wild thing, two for 40 off eight. And Andrew Tyre chipped in with three for 14. As we know, uh, he's a wily old bowler, is Andrew Tyre. It was a great all-round performance by the WA bowlers to rout a Victoria for 107, and they were bowled, in under, bowled out in under 22 overs. So it was a pretty impressive performance. Yeah, it was good. And I think the scoreline shows how lucky we are in WA. I mean, there's there's very rarely in one-day cricket one bowler that, you know, goes nuts. We all sort of chip in. Um, you know, Dorf at the top of the order is impossible to stop. AJ just cleans up, as he usually does. And Lance has got that aggressive factor and that, you know, I guess that, uh, you know, what, what people want to watch, a bit of raw pace and, and, you know, bowling those short balls and stuff. Um, it's entertaining cricket. So, I mean, yeah, everyone chips in and that's the beauty about what we've got in WA at the moment. I was talking to somebody on the weekend, uh, you know, cricket buffs who were just saying they cannot fathom the depth of cricket in this state. Now, we won the opening Sheffield Shield match against Victoria with, you know, a lot of young players coming into the side at the expense of some of the seasoned campaigners and experienced players that are representing this country. And here we are today. You've now won, that is WA, 12 straight matches in the 50-over competition and you're the defending champions. It's amazing where WA cricket stands at the moment, Jai. Yeah, and I think a big part of that, as well, especially our younger bowlers coming through. We, we obviously had a pretty inexperienced bowling attack going into that Shield game, our first Shield game at the Wacker. Um, but we saw that they performed. And, and I think a big part of that is um, we've put a very big emphasis on, you know, without going into too much detail, we've, we've essentially got a bowling philosophy that we've all come up with um, and chipped in and, and worked together on that we about how we want to go about our business. And we've actually made a conscious effort this year to pass that on down to our younger players and down to our pathway players, just so they know that when they do get the opportunity, because it's not a matter of if, it's definitely when, um, whether or not that's players playing at a higher honour or getting injured or anything like that. We know that's just what happens in cricket, um, mm. that they know what it takes and how we go about our business as Shield players um, to then go out and, and perform. So you look at someone like Liam Haskett and his development over the last 12 months just being in the program, um, you know, he's improved tenfold. So I think that sort of stuff definitely helps. When you look at uh, Jai Richardson, you can play in all forms of the game. As we know, you played for the Scorchers in the, the BBL uh, you've played now in the Marsh Cup, the 50-over side. You've played in the longer form of the game. You've played in the IPL as well. Are you going to manage yourself 
maybe this summer to make sure that you get through? Or is it a case of, I can play as much cricket as I like? Is that your mentality going into a brand new season? Oh, it's a tough one. I think you've you've got to look up, you know, what's coming up. Um, you know, but, but I think having said that, I think I'm in a better place than what I was last year physically. Um, so I think, you know, if we look at a few of the Aussie guys who have played now an Ashes tour into a couple of away tours now into a World Cup, I think come Aussie summer there hopefully is some opportunity there. So I'd like to be playing... Um, some sort of longer format cricket uh, this summer. That would be that would be the ultimate goal. But you know we've got to we've got to play a few more things before then. So um, yeah, potentially some some longer format cricket in the wings. I'm I'm preparing to play shield cricket. So hopefully that's where we land. So Jai, have you been guided by anybody at the Australian level, whether it be uh, the selectors or somebody at Cricket Australia, to say, Jai, this is what you need to do for us to maybe later in the summer consider you maybe to play in the Optus Stadium Test match for Australia against Pakistan? Uh, not really, which I think is actually a good thing. Um, like I said before, we, we've taken well with this surgery, we took all timelines out of it. Um, because we didn't want that pressure to, to come back if it wasn't quite ready. Um, there was obviously a, a very tedious rehab program and, and a lot of boxes to tick before getting out there and even playing today. So that's sort of been um, passed down and put into the trust of our WA program. Um, and just to get back to playing and not having that, you've got to be ready by December, whatever it is, or you've got to be ready by November, whatever it is. It's It's just about you know, trusting the process and getting out there and playing. Um, and then hopefully the performance come from there. Good stuff. And as we let you go, no doubt you're working pretty closely with Kate Harvey. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, of course, uh, the head of the elite program and development. What's uh, what's Kate uh, instructing you to do, basically? Is he keeping a, an eye out for you? Yeah, he's, he's more just saying keep getting out in the golf course because I know he loves his golf. So <laughs> trying to get out with a round with him, but he's, he's a busy man. So he is, but Kay's really good. He, he's he's around training a lot. Um, he's obviously very busy and and what he with what he does, but um, he's around training a lot, chatting to the guys. So yeah, good stuff. Yeah, no, he's a good fella. So when when are you bowling next? Uh, what's your next assignment? A couple of days off now, which is good. Um, and then we're back into training on Thursday. Prepping for Shield 2. So. Okay. So you're available for that next Shield game? I think we'll see how we go. I know that there's also a Futures League game or a Futures League fixture um, coming up as well. So whether or not it's in the Shield 2 or, or some prep in Futures League, I'm not too sure yet. But yeah. we'll, we'll cross that bridge when it comes. Good on you, mate. No, you're fantastic to see you back amongst the wickets today. Great to see Jai Richardson. Nothing more exciting than seeing Jai Richardson in that fantastic uh, address uh, when he runs up and delivers, of course, at the crease uh, to other batsmen. We've seen how they you can terrorise them. We've seen it here at the Optus Stadium, particularly during the BBL. Let's hope we revisit that uh, this summer. Good luck, mate, and thanks for joining us on the program. Thank you. No worries. Thanks for having me. Good on you. 27 past five. Jai Richardson joining us from uh, the West Australian cricket team. A big win today. When you look at what they did, uh, they are just flying at this stage, uh, the West Australian cricketers.
They completely obliterated uh, Victoria and the score for what it's worth. Victoria all out for 107 of 21.1 overs and WA made those runs four for 109 in the 24th over. So very, very convincing win by six wickets with 26.2 overs remaining. Back with more in a moment here on Sports Day WA. Of course, you can catch up uh, everything what's happening in the AFL uh, trade period on AFL Trade Radio, all thanks to Continental Tyres. And there's been a bit of activity today and we'll come back to that in a moment uh, regarding one of our own very much the Fremantle Dockers, Lockie Shorts wanting out of Fremantle. But let's get into the top five at five. It's all thanks to Novus Auto Glass. There's a Novus Auto Glass near you. 13-22-34. Here are the top five stories across the weekend. Number five. No, not really. I don't think. Um, maybe in a video game or something, but no, definitely not in, in real life. That's for sure. I just went out there with just some good intent and had my plans and my processes and, and just seems like everything went well. I felt like I've been getting him reasonably well, but probably not that well out there. So, yeah, I definitely did surprise myself. That's South Australia's Jake Fraser-McGurk, uh, who set a world record for the fastest century in a 50-over match, even though uh, South Australia were beaten by Tasmania by 37 runs. But everybody was talking about that effort, which was quite incredible. Despite never having scored a century in any form before yesterday, Fraser McGurk only needed 29 balls to reach triple figures, two fewer than South African great A.B. de Villiers in an ODI back in 2015. The next fastest ton by an Aussie in a domestic one-day match was scored by Luke Ronke, uh, which was 22 deliveries slower. He smacked 23 boundaries, 13 of which were sixes. Number four. David Vallish goes to ground and now some space for Stormy. Diving down the right. Tries to step his way. The offload brilliant for Rodrigo Vallish. And they might still have a chance to win this Portugal. Samuel Makish just strikes it superbly. He's put Portugal in front with a minute to play. But the clock ticks. They're trying to absorb. And that's where it ended for the Wallabies. They dared to dream. Portugal opened up a lead over Fiji in the final match uh, this morning. The Portuguese uh, won in the end 24-23, joyously celebrating its first ever victory at the Rugby World Cup. But for Australia to have got through, Portugal had to beat Fiji by more than seven points. Number three. First time he's gone long. Tomiassi's the target. Now Kai Havertz. Aki close to him. Martinelli's deflected it off Nathan Aki. Back in the Arsenal team. Back in business. It feels like a crucial, critical blow to the champions. It has taken until into the 87th minute. But Arsenal's persistence pays. Martinelli's first goal in 12 games for club and country. This is about to mean more to him than ever before because the final whistle blows. Arsenal 
beating Manchester City by Martinelli's goal to nil. Yes, a big win for the Gunners over Man City. And that result means that Tottenham Hotspur, led by Ange Postacoglu, are top of the English Premier League after eight games. 20 points, Arsenal 20, and Manchester City have slipped the reigning champions back to third on 18 points. A couple of big games last night. Brighton and Liverpool, two all, and West Ham and Newcastle, also two all. Number two. In the air, could it be a fourth? Oh, put down. Two players coming towards each other. Mitchell Marsh puts it down. How big a miss is this? And he's done that, but it's gone the distance. And it's a finish. Even Ralph is sitting down. He wanted to chip it over extra cover. One bounce for four. Instead, it's six. Instead, it's a win for India. Yeah, it's a good win for India. And as you heard Mitch Marsh dropping that catch, it would have been four for 20. And who knows? It might have been a different story, but we never will know. Number one. Wagner from long range to the goal square. Cox from one way, aim on the other. Schiltz, he put it all together in his mind and he executed it. Absolutely pinpoint perfect. Lucky to get away with it. O'Driscoll, Brayshaw waited for the runner and now it was Clark with a slider and he's got Schiltz out the back. Well, Schiltz with a big blow early in the final turn. Lever and Hunt looked at each other. It's Hunt's ball, pocket pick by Schiltz. Wow! Yeah, some of the highlights of Lockie Schultz in the purple. Looks like those days have come to an end. The top seven there for Novus Auto Glass. Don't let your old windscreen end up as landfill. Call Novus Auto Glass 13-22-34. Just before we take a break, for our friends at uh, Irrigear to save time and water, former Australian great Stephen Moore has said urgent action is needed to save rugby in Australia following the Wallabies' disastrous World Cup demise. And for Irrigear, that offers expert advice and better irrigation solutions to save time and water, Irrigear is here. We'll go to France next and speak to Mick Collis about the Wallabies' demise. Welcome back to Sports Day WA with Peter Vlahos. We're here for the Kia EV6 GT, the World Performance Car of the Year, and Toolmart, the Complete Tool Centre, serving WA for over 45 years. And, of course, you can join the Red Army this NBL season by becoming a Perth Wildcats member today. Just go online to Perth Wildcats. Well, there's been a World Cup and it's currently underway, but unfortunately Australia's participation ended overnight. And we're talking about the Rugby World Cup in France. The Wallabies, for the first time in their history, have failed to get out of the pool stage. A man that has been right on the spot for Sports Day WA has been Mick Collis, and we go to Paris now. Uh, Mick, thanks for your time. Yeah, Pete, my pleasure. And, and it's really hard to listen to you say that, the fact that the Wallabies, who have won the thing twice, now don't even make it out of the pool stages. And I, and I can't believe what a fall from grace we've had in the last... 20-odd years, because that's um, hearing it from you that at hits home, this tournament's been an absolute disaster for the game in Australia. Well, the Australians at one stage could care to dream, because Portugal opened up a lead over Fiji in the final match of Pool C, as we know, in the early hours of this morning, our time. And in the end, Portugal caused an upset, but they didn't beat Fiji by enough. 
No, they had. So for Australia to get through, Portugal had to deny Fiji getting a bonus point. So in rugby, you get a bonus point if you finish within seven of the opposition, whether you win or lose, or if you score four tries, and again, whether you win or lose. So the final score, I think, was 22-21, and a fantastic game. But just that one-point margin meant that the Fijians got the bonus point which then that put them um, level with Australia. But because Fiji had beaten Australia, Fiji goes through. And look, I was happy for Fiji and the Portuguese. They've been the breakout team for me this tournament. They mm. were very, very good against Australia. We, we, they got a guy in the, uh, in the sin bin for 10 minutes and Australia scored three tries in 10 minutes. And that was the only difference between those two teams all night. And then they'd come out last night. They've never, ever beaten Fiji. In fact, that was the first game they've ever won at the World Cup last night. And it was against Fiji, who are a team in the quarterfinals. So those players, they're all in tears at the end. It was just beautiful to watch. I sat in a little French cafe. It was packed full of rugby fans. And, you know, a lot of the Australians were obviously hoping that the Portuguese would would go ahead and and win. They were up by seven for a long time, but then Fiji kept coming back, then Portugal would go ahead. But but I think, for me, that that Australia being kicked out is the kick in the backside that the game needs in Australia. Because I think if we had have snuck our way through... Uh, Hamish McLennan and all the power brokers would think, yep, yeah, it was all part of our plan. Everything's fine. We can just carry on as normal, and we can't. So it was kind of, while I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed Australia didn't go through, we lost two games. We didn't deserve to be there in the quarterfinals. I think Fiji did. So, look, a good result. But, yeah, Portugal, fantastic, got home last night. I think you basically summed it up. It would have been an unjust uh, had the Australian oh, side yeah. gone through after being uh, dealt at the hands of the Welsh and, of course, to Fiji and was having those ho-hum victories over the minnows, Georgia and Portugal. Now, the asset is on Eddie Jones. He's got a four-year mandate. And we know he blooded a lot of fresh wallabies with an eye to the 2027 World Cup on home soil. I gather the pressure will be really on him to turn it around in four years' time. Yeah, it will. And, and the, the annoying thing about Eddie's always been talking about, you know, planning for 2027, the home World Cup. As we've spoken about, we saw the interest with the Matilda. So, you know, Rugby Australia were kind of getting behind him to have it for 2027. But the fact that we've now been kicked out in 2023, they're going to lose sponsorship money. They're going to lose interest. Participation rates normally rise after World Cup because there's some interest. There's going to be no increase in participation in, in rugby. So, the damage that has been done by this, this long-term plan of trying to be good for 2027... I find that's really going to hurt the game, and I don't know how we're going to recover for that. So that was the real disappointing thing for me. The World Cup, you've got to go into every World Cup thinking this is the one we want to win, and you've got to pick the team that'll win the World Cup this year, not the one that's going to try and win in in four years' time. And, And France, they took a young team into the 2019 World Cup they didn't do any good, and everyone's saying, well, look, you know, they're they're one of the favourites. But apparently, there's only six players from that. 2019 team that are still in this World Cup now. So it, it doesn't make any sense. That math doesn't add up. So they've really stuffed up. And I, and I think that's to blame with Eddie Jones picking this young side with no experience. And there was an article I read by Michael Liner, who was the former uh, Wallaby number 10. And then there was that the 1991 World Cup when Ireland at Lansdowne Road in the dying minutes got ahead of, of Australia in the semi final. And Michael Liner pulled all the guys behind the goalpost. They had about five minutes to go. And he said, Look, tell us it's okay. We've been here before. This is what we're going to do. We'll kick over here. It'll come back inside a campo and we'll be able to score in the corner. And that's exactly what happened. And he was saying that the Wallabies this year, they had no one with that experience when times are going tough against Wales or Fiji to pull everyone together and say, fellas, it's okay. 
we've been here before, this is what we can do, and then have the players look up to that player. So they didn't have anything that year. And that, that for me, that goes right back to Eddie Jones by picking an inexperienced team for the most important tournament of the, of the four years. So, yeah, just disappointing on so many levels. Yeah, amazing when you consider Australia won those World Cups, what, in 1991 and 1999. And they were... Uh, basically in the shop window of everybody. Everybody knew John Eel. Yeah. Everybody knew David Campisi. They were household names. Now you ask, who are the household names of Australian rugby? And it's a, a bit difficult. We don't have any. We don't have any. And we made the World Cup final in 2015 under under Michael Checker. Then they sacked him. And then he's now in coaching Argentina. And Argentina, they're through to the quarterfinals, <laughs> but, but not Australia. So we've got this shotgun approach. And now you're right. When you talk about the, the, the big players, you ask people, you know, name me a wallaby, and it is those guys from 20 years ago. So what's, what's happened to Australian rugby? And everyone used to be, you know, the wallabies were everyone's favourite winter team, whether you, whether you were from WA, South Australia, wherever it might have been, everyone got behind the wallabies. But now, you know, just the interest is so low. And as you said, no one knows, no one could name a player. And I, I can't blame them. It's been chopped and changed. Even the captain, I think we've had six captains since Eddie Jones has been in charge, and he's been in charge for about nine test matches. So it's just the inconsistency has just made it so difficult for anyone to get on board. Yeah, you love the sport, and it's coming around in your delivery. Mick, you're, you're very, very disappointed at the way it played out, and you're amongst a lot of the Wallaby supporters that paid some good money to try and follow the Wallabies at that World Cup. What was the general mood before we move on to the quarterfinals? Yeah, look, everyone was, everyone's just disappointed. Um, and I think sad for the game that we've that we've fallen that far. Like, it's just, uh, I, I still can't believe. And because they talk about, you know, the, the Soccer World Cup's got the pool of death. And rugby had a had a pool of death. And we weren't in it. We had, once we found out we were with Wales, Fiji, Portugal and Georgia, that was the easiest pool by a long way in the World Cup, and everyone thought, oh, God, look, it, it's, it's how much are we going to win our pool by? And then to come away and, and not even get through is is just oh, so disappointing. So that's the, the general thing is disappointment. And it's interesting from the other countries, because the great thing about the Rugby World Cup, if you've got a, a team colour on, people will just come and talk to you about, about rugby. And I was talking to some Irish fans um, when we went and watched the Island play Scotland on Saturday night, and we were talking to the Irish fans, and they were all just saying, look, we're really, we're really sad for you guys. And really, they felt for us because Australia, as we mentioned, had been such a proud rugby nation and the fact that we're not even through. So the general feeling is just disappointment in world rugby for the way that Australia has fallen off because the rest of the game around the world is really healthy. And you see it by the support that, that the other teams are getting. But it's just in Australia because it's such a competitive market with the, you know, and now the AFL and the NRL finals are finished and there's this little bit of a gap now where rugby should be filling those gaps in the media during the quarterfinals and semifinal, everyone getting on board, but they're not going to be there. So it's just a real wasted opportunity. Mm, good call, Mick. Uh, let's look ahead finally uh, to the quarterfinals this weekend over there in France. And they're a bit lopsided, aren't they? Four of the big nations are playing against each other. Yeah, so on uh, on Saturday night, we've got Wales against Argentina. So that was that would have been... Uh, if Australia had finished first, we would have been playing Argentina. And then the other one on Saturday night is Ireland against New Zealand. So two of the favourites. Then on the Sunday... England against Fiji. And again, if we had a finished second, we would have been playing England. But the other one, France, South Africa. So they've got Ireland and New Zealand 
and France and South Africa playing in a quarterfinal. Now, they're the four best teams in the world. Two of those teams are going to go home saying, we didn't make it past the quarterfinals. And that's uh, yeah, that's almost as bad as us not getting out of a pool game for those four teams. But on the other side, you've got Wales against Argentina and England versus Fiji. So two of those teams, really, it's a walk-up start into a semi-final. And I can't believe that either Ireland, New Zealand, France or South Africa will be knocked out this weekend because those two quarterfinals should be the semi-final. But the way that the draw worked out, that's a quarterfinal. So I think once we hit the semi-finals... Whoever, whoever wins out of Ireland, New Zealand, and whoever wins out of France and South Africa, they will meet in the final because they'll get rid of the other two people when they um, when they play. So it's it's a really, I think the I think the quarterfinals is disappointing because you're going to lose two of the very best teams that should be going through and playing for a semi final spot. Mickey, you've been outstanding for me. Thank you very much for bringing us up to date with the Wallabies and the Rugby World Cup. You fly home tonight. Our time, uh, safe travel back, and you're travelling probably in the same flight as the Wallabies heading back to Australia yeah. as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll have, we'll have the black armbands on and uh, we'll be disappointed. And look, I'll tell you, but if the Wallabies are on our plane, I think they actually do fly home tomorrow, but they'll be heading home, I'm sure, in business class. And, and again, one of, the, one of the criticisms of the whole thing is the amount of money that Rugby Australia has spent just on the Wallabies and they've neglected the, the grassroots. They haven't worried about getting new people attracted to the game. They're putting all their money and all their interest in the in the very, very pointy end of the pyramid. And they had an Australia A team over here for a long time. They've had, I don't know how many hundred staff they've had with the Wallabies. They've wasted so much money. And to come home with absolutely nothing to, to show for it, that's the thing that makes the fans angry because it's just the game struggling. Money needs to be spent better and smarter. And it wasn't for this World Cup. Good on you, Mickey. Uh, you've summed it up beautifully. Thanks for your time, mate. Safe flight back, and we'll keep in touch. Perfect. Thanks, Pete. Mick Collis there, our SEN Sports Day WA rugby expert. And you can just hear in his voice the disappointment of what transpired. He was there at ground level watching the Wallabies just basically disintegrate in front of uh, all those Wallaby fans that... Uh, went over there to France to hopefully see Wallabies progress deep into the Rugby World Cup, but it wasn't to be. And we'll keep in touch with Mick, and we'll also keep in touch with what happens uh, across the quarterfinals, semifinals, and the Rugby World Cup final in a couple of weeks' time. That's it for me. I hope you've enjoyed the program. Thanks to Paul Heath, my producer, and also Brian for panelling the program. Just before I go, letting you know that Beaumont Tiles is giving away a trip for two to American football's biggest game worth over $70,000. All you need to do is just shop in-store at Beaumont's before November 12, and you're in with a chance to win. Good luck. TNCs do apply. I'll be back again tomorrow from 5, uh, straight after the run home with Hayes and Mardo. Hope you've enjoyed Sports Day WA for the Kia EV Year 6 GT World Performance Car of the Year and Toolmart, the complete tool centre, serving WA for over 45 years. Have a good night, everyone. See you tomorrow at 5.